Welcome to the art and science of complex sales. You've joined us in the coaching quarter. This podcast is dedicated to elevating the sales profession. Our listeners range from first-time salespeople to seasoned sales leaders and driven CEOs. They all come to learn from the best in the business. As we interview top sales transformation specialists, go-to-market leaders, revenue thought leaders, and more with only one question on our minds, how we get better together. This 12-episode quarter brought to you by Membrane.com will start to hone in on a key element in performance, sales coaching. Each of our guests speaks to this a bit differently and brings their own unique take, but all cover the topic, how to execute, and the exponential impact it makes. So let's start shining bright and get kicked off with today's guest. Two tall guys, not short, not midsize. I'm talking genuinely tall. I look up to both of them and I'm a good six feet on most days. So meet Sean O'Sonnessy and Kevin Lawson. They're two sales experts at the top of their game. Both are fractional heads of revenue with their own firms and operate under the sales acceleration banner. From sales coaching to systems and more, they have the experience and the mindset to drive revenue. And you get to learn from them here. So let's get started with two tall guys talking sales, Sean and Kevin. Sean, Kevin, how the heck are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much, Paul. And Kevin, it's good to see you or at least hear your voice again. Yeah, yeah. Good good to be heard. Good to be heard. If I were better, I'd be twins and y'all would have a real problem on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> if I were better, I'd be twins. I, I love it. I now have I, that's now in the arsenal, man. That is in the back pocket. I don't. I think that's probably going to be used in the next meeting that I have. Uh, well, but yeah. no, you're. I, I really. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. You're both with Sales Acceleration. You're both. Uh, you have your own podcast called the Two uh, Tall Sales Guys. Something two tall like, guys talking. Two sales. tall guys talking sales. I'm sorry, I got that that wrong. But I am the short one in the room, definitely. <laughs> Well, we're not in the same room, which is good. So, and Kevin is a really, truly the tall person. Um, so Kevin's like six eight or something silly like that. Um, he's a ninety nine percent profile or um, in the world of of tall people. So, uh, so you know, I, I'm kind of tall. I'm six three. So that's why we call it two tall guys talking. <laughs> kind of, kind of. I, I'm looking up. I'm looking up to you guys in more ways than one, which is good. Uh, but hey, I uh, we have you both on, and I'm going to throw out a cage match here. Um, we have to define sales. That's the first first thing that everybody has to do. And and I have two 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 sales uh, leaders, sales experts on here. So who wants to take it first? So I'll go if you don't. If unless Kevin, I'm, I'm welcome to let yeah, you go. Okay. Yeah. So my definition of sales is the transfer of trust, and I talk about this a lot. You know, if you listen to my podcast with Kevin, he's heard me talk about this a lot. That the goal of sales is to transfer trust. So the salesperson, in theory, at least, trusts the product that he sells. He trusts the company that's behind that product. And he trusts himself to, to effectively describe and, and present that product and, and solve a customer's problem with that product. And product can be whatever you want to sell, right? But I, I generically call all things products. The job of the customer, the prospect, is to figure out, do I trust that it's going to solve my problem? So whatever problem that happens to be, at the beginning, the salesperson probably doesn't even know what that problem is yet. We're still trying to understand it and identify it and dig into it. But that whole process of sales is to transfer the trust from the salesperson or the sales team 
to the customer, to the prospect, because the goal is that they do trust that this product will solve my problem. This product is made by a great company. It's backed by a great company that I trust is going to take care of me. It's not going to screw me in the future. They're going to help me when I have a problem, all those other things. And it's one of the best products that I could possibly have to solve my particular problem. That's the job of the, the prospect is to trust that that's the case. And so it's all about transferring trust. It's a great definition. I, lo- I love that. And I have some, I, I wrote it down because I have some definite things we got to dig into a little bit later, but Kevin, I'm going to pass it to you as well. What do you think? Well, you, you said it was a cage match. So, so let's go point counterpoint. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, this is an easy, the, the easy button here is I say ditto because it is about building trust. So let's talk about, you know, what sales does, right? What sales does for the customer, what sales does for the organization that, you know, you, know, you work for or own. And, and when I talk to owners and sales teams about what selling should be, it should be all the things that helps our customers and our prospects solve their problems. So we should, sales is talking about uh, finding problems and solving them in the terms and the, the way the customer measures value, right? We have a thing and it does a something for you, but why does it do that? What is it really doing in the world? So we can go back to the analogy of, you know, are we selling the drill bit or are we selling the perfectly round hole, right? We're, if we're only focusing on the, the drill bit, we're missing the opportunity to talk about the problem we're solving, right? So sales for me is about Sean, you said trust. I talk about building re- relationships and rapport, you know, different terminology, but, but same goal. And then resonating with the customer and, and talking about their problem in terms of their values. So how they value things, not value like personal values, how they apply value to a problem. So at the long and the short of it, you know, it's, it's, sales is like barbecue. Everybody has their own opinion about which way is best. And in, in my mind, you know, barbecue is a noun and it comes with vinegar. So talk about a cage match. That There's a starter starting for argument. Vinegar with coleslaw? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Yeah, see? No, I, I see barbecue <laughs> to me is the full broad spectrum of, of just deliciousness. Like there is no anything with the smoke. I could go. Without sauce, with sauce, vinegar, coleslaw. Anyways, we'll get away from that because I could talk about that for hours. So there's some, I'm going to tie a couple things together here with a question uh, to both of you. And you take it as as uh, whoever wants to jump in first. But there is a recent recent study and LinkedIn sales blog put this out. 32% of buyers think sales is a trustworthy profession. But 88% of them want to buy from a trusted advisor. How do those, that gap, that trust gap is pretty huge. Um, so how do we minimize, if sales is is really that transfer trust, how do we minimize that trust gap? I'll, I'll be first off a diving board on this one. I, t- I talk about this kind of stuff a lot. If you've seen any of my LinkedIn content, I, I talk about not doing the thing that gets that 32% trust result. You know, if you've got in your inbox or in your junk folder, you know, would you like to buy a list of this? Would you, I mean, it's the immediate immediacy of landing, getting past a firewall and just a, a distasteful feeling, a distasteful sales script. You know, they, people, we in sales pay a relationship tax just by our title. And that relationship tax is because somebody somewhere in their life has had a really, really bad experience with a salesperson. It was just kind of sleazy or they felt like they were being taken or something. 
Sean and I battle against that every day. We are trying to do all the things that makes a sales organization wonderful and right and desirable. We try to build cultures that attract talent, attract customers, attract vendor relationships. That 32% of buyers that think sales is trustworthy, we're making progress because that used to be lower. But you know, the, the 88% that want to buy from a trustworthy advisor, they're actually looking for examples of good salespeople and sales organizations. So I think that's there because there's a market need for people like Sean and I to go help people build better sales organizations. You know, the, the end result is that they build more robust sales, revenue top line, sales pipelines, you know, any measure along the way. But the, those people want trusted advisors. I mean, Sean and I strive to be in that trusted advisor group because it allows us to do our jobs better for the client. The client has a better experience when they're not on edge wondering if they're getting taken. So I'm going to keep on going on that same thing. So I don't know what the right number is because I didn't look it up prior to this. I did used to know it. There's eight, maybe there's 10 universities in North America that have sales as a degreed profession. So most salespeople by that very definition, got trained to do some other thing than to do sales. Now, they maybe they didn't even go to college, and that's fine. I'm not saying you have to go to college to be a successful salesperson. However, most people were not trained. They definitely weren't trained in high school how to be a salesperson. Um, so they were not trained to do sales. Most salespeople started their life thinking they wanted to do something else. In fact, and I'd love to do this little experiment I never have, and someday I will, I'd love to reach out to a bunch of sophomores and juniors in high school and say, how many of you want to be salespeople when you grow up? And I'm going to bet that the number is below your 32%. I'm going to bet it's in the single digits. I really do, right? Because now, granted, if you ask a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, they're going to say firefighter and all that other good stuff that we want them to say, right? But when they get to high school, when they're starting to actually think about what am I going to do when I get out of here? And man, I really want to get out of here. Um, they're not going to say sales. They're going to say something else, most likely, right? So sales is the second profession or the 10th profession for most salespeople. And because of that, they never got a solid foundation of how to, how to do it well. Most companies that you go to work for, and I was an exception to this because I got really lucky with my first employer, but most companies you work for, they basically give you one or two weeks. They, they put you through a, a Sandler-like class. They don't even send you to Sandler originally. They put you through a Sandler-like class, and they say, okay, you now know enough about our product. Go make sales calls, right? And maybe they just put them on the, the you know BDR, SDR kind of job where they're making appointments for the other guys, but they are in that process of learning. And now they're going to say something. So their boss gives them very prescriptive things to do. I need you to call 100 people today. I need you to get 10 names. I need you to make these appointments. And so they think that the entire way to get the project done or get their, you know, make their boss happy is to just do activity. And so most of the time it's the activity, and it's not good activity, um, that they get asked for. And most sales managers have never been trained to be a sales manager either. There are very, very few that have actually gone to a class on how to be a really good manager. And you could actually go to a manager-oriented training class and then apply good sales act vernacular to it. But most of them don't even do that. Most salespeople 
get all get managed by a person that was the best salesperson on the team and got promoted to being the VP of sales. And that person doesn't know how to manage and probably doesn't know how to be a good salesperson, even if he was a good salesperson. And I say he, it could be she, obviously. Um, most sales managers, most really good salespeople don't know why they're good. They just know that they are. They're good at it because they're, they've learned some innate skills, but they've never really sat down and say, this is what it takes to be a good salesperson. This is what it takes to have good sales skills. And then they get promoted to be a manager and they haven't identified those things. So therefore they can't grow into somebody else. So we have an industry that does not love training, does not love teaching people best practices. And because of that, we have an industry that I can't remember the right number that you just said that 32% don't like salespeople. And, you know, and that because we've all run into the bad salespeople, we, we all have. And therefore, they, we have a bad industry. Um, the good thing is, is if you're a really good salesperson, man, do you, are you successful? You know, there's um, Brian Tracy, the guy who kind of started focal point coaching, and, you know, he's a famous speaker. He's getting a little old now, so I don't know how much he actually goes out and speaks. But he used to talk about this all the time, how to become a millionaire. He had a, had a book, he had a, a tape audio book um, kind of a, a training class. He goes, how do you become a billionaire? How do you, how do, what do you do in order to become a millionaire? And he had seven or eight different ways that people can become a millionaire. One of those was to be in sales, but you had to be a really, really good salesperson in order to do that. You had to be an exceptionally great salesperson in order to do that. And I know lots of salespeople that have become millionaires. They've acquired enough revenue. They've saved appropriately. And they are now millionaires because they just worked hard and they worked in a high, tough industry, a high impact industry, and they made a difference. So those are the people that we all want to have on our teams, but we don't want to do the hard work to get our salespeople to that goal. Well, let's talk about that hard work because I think I'm going to go back to uh, the original definition and some of the things that I'm hearing. I, Stephen M. R. Covey wrote this book called The Speed of Trust. Great book. But he defines he defines trust as a function of two things. One is character and one is competence. Right. And so to me, that is talent. And I call it transformation, this ability to train, coach and continually dive in with people. But we're at a and, and so if, if the goal is to increase trust, how do we take that talent? Right. And how. You guys are masters of this. I know you both do it in a, a, a lot. How do we take that talent, hire the right people, and then get them the competence? Like, how do you how do you structure that? The way to get them the competence to really become trustworthy, right? They need to be able to trust themselves. The person needs to trust them. Do you have a formula or a system, or is it different every time? What's What's really important about that? Kevin, yeah. you're laughing at me. <laughs> no, I, Sorry, I give you a broad question. No, no. It, it's a good question. It's the right question that owners of businesses should be asking themselves. How do I attract better talent? And how do I get the most out of the talent that I hire? If you're going through the Sandler training, it's why I have a process, why I have a system. It's, I think it's their, their foundations class. If you're going through the, the RAIN group, it's their introductory class. I mean, if you're going... I, Good teaching and coaching and mentorship starts with a good plan. 
So when Sean and I engage, or I specifically, I'm going to talk about me. I'm not, I'm not going to put words in Sean's mouth. When I engage with a customer or any business unilaterally, I'm looking at what do they have already in their system, their, their building blocks. You know, let, let's take sales aside. Let, let's, let's take that 32% aside. Let's just talk about people. We, we all went to high school, right? Nods. Yes, we mm-hmm. all went to high school. In high school, you assume a, you assume a lot about me. Well, I, I'm I'm from a rural part of North Carolina, and there were, you can tell. Uh, went, went high, thank you very much, Barbecues and Al. I went to rural high school with about 1,300, 1,500 kids in it, and I was not best friends with every one of them. That's your total addressable market, right? Mm-hmm. I was really tight with a few folks on the sports teams I played on, a few really good friends that I still keep in touch with. I was tight with a very select group. That was, you know, your your smaller market. We have to approach a system of building those types of relationships, the lifelong friends, the lifelong customer. You have to build it with a plan. So to ask me about, hey, is there there a plan or a structure or a process? Yes. To get good people, you need to train them well. You need a plan for training. You need a plan for mentorship. Like Sean, I had a really great coming out of college experience with a company. They put me through a leadership program. I was surrounded by mentors that poured into my life from all parts of the business. And when I saw them leave after an acquisition, I was like, ooh, they know something I don't know, right? They were that kind of mentorship that I trusted their judgment about their purview of the company. So that was a company that was steeped in good culture, right? And joining that meant they had a plan for me to put me through professional selling skills. They wanted to make sure and refine the skills that I brought were accentuated. They wanted to make sure that my product knowledge was built up and kept current. They, they had tools to make sure that everything I was doing was effective. Um, they had an acronym BEEF, being efficient, effective, and error-free. You know, BEEF, <laughs> lots of acronyms in our lives. But, you know, being efficient, effective, and error-free uh, translated not only to sales, but also delivery. So, y- yes, we build infrastructure from digital infrastructure to record, capture data, systems, onboarding plans, one-year training, even a system for having an effective sales meeting week in, week out that doesn't drone on for hours, right? You you can have a stand-up sales meeting in about 10 minutes and get most of the critical, you know, roadblocks identified and moved towards completion or moved towards uh, releasing that constraint. So the all-in here is is the power of mentorship, training, and having a plan is is really the key that starts to unlock some of those previously closed-off doors for companies. So what stage of company do you start to see? And Sean, I'm going to turn to you there. Like, What stage of company do you start to see that plan, that building into people that, that, uh, you know, we're going to get you a mentor. We're going to get you a coach. We're going to continually coach with you on the sales uh, and and give you tools to do that. Is that out of the gate that you recommend having that? Is that something that you only see in medium businesses or enterprise uh, level businesses? Where, where do you recommend a leader that's listening to this get started on building that system to really mentor, coach, and train their sales team? So in general, the leader, the CEO, the founder of the company should put together that system the day after he decides to start the company. So the reality is, is you cannot do it by yourself. So I'm going to give you a great example. So Kevin and I interviewed on our podcast about a year ago, um, a founder of a company, and he was a great salesperson. 
So before he founded his company, he had been a great salesperson. He'd worked for really good sales organizations. He got really good training. He knew what to do. He started one company, really perfected pitching that capability, that solving that problem, sold that company, started another company that basically did the same thing, but did it better. And he asked himself a question. I think actually, if I remember the story correctly, a mentor asked him a question, an outside counsel asked him a question. So you're a great sales guy. Are you better than five salespeople? And the guy goes, no. Are you better than anybody else that can sell your product? Yes. It's a pretty, pretty gutsy statement to say that he's better than anybody else. Are you better than any other two people? Yes. Are you better than any other three people? So this guy was, you know, a little confident, which is fine. Starting a company, better be confident. And he said, maybe. So at five, he knew that he wasn't better than five. At one or two, he knew he was better than that person. He couldn't hire somebody that's better than him, that's even as good as him, in his opinion. And then the, the outside consultant said, how many salespeople do you think you need in your company to hit your goals before you have the exit that you're planning on having? So he did start the company with the goal of having an exit. And he, he was estimating roughly 100 for the size of company that he wanted to build. So he wanted to build a big company. So roughly 100. And the consultant looked at him, or his outside counsel looked at him and said, and I know I'm screwing up this, this story, so listen to my podcast. It's much better when he tells the story. <laughs> and he said, so your problem is going to be, how do you get past two? Because things are going to get worse with one and two because they're not as good as you. So you're going to have to be able to acknowledge that because you've got to get to three and you've got to get to five and then you've got to get to 10 and 20 and 50. And every one of those people are not going to be as good as you when you hire them. How are you going to get, how are you going to pull that off? And he had to make a system, a plan on how he was going to mentor salespeople and make them better, teach them his methods of selling, because he was a very good sales guy, teach him his methods, his techniques, his, his charisma, his capability, and his trust in the product that they were selling and that they could deliver a great product. And he had to get through one and two in order to get to five. And he came up with that idea before he hired that first salesperson, before he hired that second salesperson, that he had to get through that process. And that is the same process that every CEO starts with. When a CEO goes out, when they're starting their company, and they're going to go find that first customer because now they made something or they created something or they provide some service or whatever, they are the most effective salespeople in the world. Because we go back to my definition of what sales is, and that's trust. Mm -hmm. They trust immensely that they're going to be able to do it. At least they better, right? They don't really have a lot of doubts in their mind. They definitely aren't going to wear their, their doubts on their shirt sleeves. So they, they trust that they're going to deliver that. And they look that prospect in the eye and they go, trust me, I'm going to get it done for you. And they can say that more than anybody else can. No other salesperson has that ability to say, trust me. The company is behind me. Everything I say in the company goes, I can make this happen. So every CEO has to understand that they have to build a system from day one on building that organization that can actually deliver that message as effectively as they do, but without the title of CEO. So they have to build that right away. That's actually one of the more effective questions. That consultant question is one of the more effective questions I've ever heard in that. So how many salespeople? That, that's brilliant. And then figuring out a plan to go from, okay, your problem is going to be number one and number two. 
So how do you help them? Let's let's talk about this a little more because and and Kevin, I'm gonna let's let's start with that small and medium company how do you help them develop this type of system like what are the the key components in that that are are really critical to driving that repeatability and driving that uh, impact from reps one two three four five six seven eight nine ten this is one of my favorite things to say and sean and i we we laugh about this every time i say it can i I say it's really (laughs) you say it sean yeah i don't want to take your time So if you don't have a repeatable process, you don't have a repeatable sales process. If we can't, in earnest, document how a founder sales, sales, sells repeatedly, you can't expect a new person to the company to do it the way that the founder did it. Right? You've got to have that repeatable sales process. So getting to that first, but now Sean and I do this for a living, so we could go for hours talking about all the things we do. But let's let's boilerplate this for somebody who says, "Oh shucks, I don't have that now. Where do I start?" Well, base level, you need a message and a method. That's it. Full stop. You need a message, how you talk about your product, and a method. What in what order? What do I do, and in what order? to make sure that I'm closing all the hatches behind me so that I end up with a process that I can repeat, a message and a method. If you will start there, everything will fall into place. Now, we can talk about sales strategy, sales KPIs, sales sales and marketing, lead generation, customer success, customer acquisition. We can go long and hard on all this, but if you'll start with what is the message I want to carry and in what order do I carry that message? How do I prospect? How do I have a first meeting? When do I propose in my sales cycle? When do I follow up? I don't know if it's your case, Sean, but it's it's in my case that most of the owners I work with or small sales teams, they often are saying things like, my proposals go out and then it goes silent. It goes silent and that elongates a deal. If you want your deal, here's some free consulting for your listeners. If you want your deals cycles to move faster and more effectively and not get lost in no decision, Propose slower. Just ask one that, that Colombo moment. Ask the one more question. Do we know how they buy? Do they know who in their organization actually signs? One of my favorite, one of my most fun questions is, hey, do you sign or do you have multiple signers in your company? That tells you a, a lot. Of, you know, th- there's three questions you need to be asking as a seller, you know, in any sales situation early to qualify. You know, too often, salespeople get happy ears where they're just talking and they think they've got a deal because somebody's talking back to them. That happens all too often. And Sean and I, we fight against that behavior. That's a behavior. That's down in the weeds of what we do day in, day out. But we try and elevate the, the three things they need to be asking about budget, process, and people. Those kind of things, once you know those and have confirmed those, then you can really get a, a deal scoped well. Because again, back to Sean's comment about, about what sales is and trust. You're building trust early, right? Sales is about trust and it's the speed of trust. It's the speed of the sale. So um, th- th- there's a lot to unpack there. So message and method, message and method. Message and method. So I'm going to bring message and method over to Sean. And because I think I'm going to add, um, let's add the people part to this, right? Which is, is that competence level of the skill uh, of the trust function, right? Character, competence, I think message and method to scale we absolutely have that but how do you recommend let's go at that competence how do you how much coaching on that skills 
And how do you go about coaching on skills? Do you think reps one, two, three, four, and then, you know, uh, forever go? Because I'm finding that we have a, a dearth of coaching to a point. Is that a word? Does dearth work? I think it's a word. Oh, yeah. It's a word. Good it's, word. Yeah. I don't know what it means. It's a good word. word. <laughs> exactly. It's, we don't have enough coaching, right? Uh, or we're trying to now automate. We're trying to do give up responsibility of coaching and just say it's all on AI instead of saying AI is a tool that can help coach. Like, let's just focus on that skills transfer with a rep. How do you go about doing that? And how often is the impact that you see of coaching? Let's dive in there. Sure. So there's lots of ways to diagnose if the salesperson knows how to do that. My initial assumption is they probably don't, right? But I don't immediately go in and say, I'm going to train everybody how to do it because that would be a mistake. But I'm assuming that they don't. And I look for evidence that I'm wrong, that they actually know what they're doing. So when I go into a new client, and once again, I'm a fractional VP of sales, my job, I'm hired by the CEO, by the owner to fix their revenue generation problem. So I know that there's a problem because he has admitted there's a problem. So I go in and I kind of like look at my team and I figure out, do I think that they can transfer trust? First of all, do they trust the the company that they work for, right? Do they trust that that company is actually going to deliver a good product on time, does what it's supposed to do, won't break, last a long time, is incredibly cheap, right? So do they think that? So those are pretty easy things to figure out, but a lot of times that's not the case. A lot of times they'll talk about, yeah, we screwed my customer over two years ago and I'm still harboring a grudge and I won't call that customer again until we got fired and all that other stuff. So they're kind of harboring a grudge. So I know I got to fix those problems because if you don't, they don't trust the company they work for, they're going to be a, do a really j- bad job of delivering trust or transferring trust to the client, right? Because you know they're in a bad spot. So I got to fix that problem. So the credibility, can you explain your product? Can you explain what you do? Can, do you understand it? And more importantly, can you explain it in the context of what it does for the customer? And I really want them to spend time learning about how does their customer, their prospect make money or lose money? And how does what you do affect those, one of those two things? Because let's be honest, we get bought, our products get bought. Because it costs less to buy our product than not to buy our product. There's an ROI that's in that process. We're going to make more money or we're going to save money. Those are the only two reasons why people buy anything. I'm either getting out of trouble or I'm in trouble. And it could be a regulation problem. It could be I can't work fast enough, whatever the case may be. But it's all about either I'm saving them money or I'm making them money. So I'm figuring out what that ROI is. And if you're going to figure out what the ROI is, then you really have to understand what their business is. And you can't assume that your customer actually can identify all those issues and identify all those problems and identify what that means and be able to effectively sell that internally. So you need to understand their business. And the more you understand their business, how do they make money? How does what you do affect that process? The better off you're going to be. So I teach them about business. I teach them about their customer's business and about how to ask the questions because I don't know all their customers as well. Now, maybe I'm lucky and then we sell to one type of customer. That's really, really lucky. And for the most part, they don't do that, especially in small companies where they try to shoot everything that moves. 
Um, so maybe I have to whittle that down a little bit and say, no, we don't sell to those guys. We've only sold them once. Stop going after that kind of customer, right? So maybe I help that process out a little bit. The big thing is, is how do you help your customer be more effective? How do you help your customer be more efficient? And if you can do that, if you can explain that, now you get that credibility issue. And maybe it's through case studies. Maybe it's through just understanding. Maybe it's because, look, I've done that before. I know all about that. So let me explain how this is going to work. All of those things factor in. And because you, you need to be able to say, look, Mr. Customer, if you are going to be a, have a relationship with us, you're going to be in a relationship with us, you're going to be more profitable. You're going to be more effective. You're going to deliver your products to the market faster. You're going to get more customers. What, I, you know, the, the range of benefits is huge. What is specific to what that particular company can deliver? I, you know, that's up to them. But we need to be able to say, this product solves that problem. And that problem is a monetary problem that you can put a, you can put a number on it because I need money back. And if you're going to give me money, then you have to, you have to, I have to save you money. What I'm hearing you, what I'm hearing you say, and I'm going to uh, parse through some words, but that business basics and that ability to drive down into that is a critical area for coaching. Like method and message don't have an impact unless you can, I mean, they're critical, right, Kevin? Absolutely mm -hmm. 100% critical, but they don't have really the impact or the credibility unless somebody can tie them effectively and competently to the business basics and and just diving in so coaching on that seems to be of utmost utmost importance and actually that dives in directly with one of the things that I, I see in market which is the way we have the way we have brought up a lot of salespeople is they don't know that they're 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 given such a small portion of of the sales cycle that they've never had a chance to develop what they actually can help with, right? The, all they know is that they can help with getting somebody on the phone. Um, no. And then they are moved to an AE and they're supposed to then magically understand this, how to have a business conversation. I don't know if you guys are seeing that in market as well, but I, I definitely see that a lot. I see that all oh, the time. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I, I do not think that the, the, the typical next steps in the career are effectively done in most companies. And they can be big companies and they can be small companies. First of all, just because it's a, your best salesperson doesn't mean he should be your sales manager until he's learned how to be a manager because that's part of the job. So yeah. and the, just because you are the best at setting appointments for somebody else doesn't mean you're the best at delivering that message. It means you can talk. It means that you're trainable. It means we can get you there, but mm -hmm. don't expect that brand new person. I had a, my very first job... I did a lot of sales training right at the right out of the gate. My company spent a ton of money making me a better salesperson. But after the end of that sales training process, and in my case, that was eleven months long, so this was intense. Um, I'll tell you that backstory if you want me to. But after eleven months, I got transferred to Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where I currently still live. The VP of Sales for the company. And this is a relatively large company, probably five hundred of salespeople in the company. He wrote a, a note, a memo that was before email, of course. So it was a piece of paper. He wrote a memo to my new boss because I was, he was transferring him to me or me to him. And, then, and I'm going to tell you everything that's in there and I'm not going to remember it anyway. But he made the analogy of a golfer. And he said, 
Sean knows how to swing the club really well. We have taught him how to swing the club really well. We have taught him how to hit the golf ball very, very straight. He knows exactly what to do if you put him on a driving range. He doesn't know how to manage the course. He doesn't know how to, to, how to, change, how to change clubs to be for where he's at. He might know that he's supposed to hit the sand wedge out of the sand, but he doesn't know that when he should hit the sand wedge, he's not in the sand. So he made that analogy, to, and they were both golfers, so they totally understood this. And I wasn't a very good golfer, so I was like, well, that's an interesting way to say it. But he made this analogy of just because you've been through training, he's, I've never had the coaching, and that's what he was transferring to this, my new manager. You're going to coach him on how to do it well and how to navigate the course and how to choose which club and how to read the wind because, you know, I've been, I've been in class. I don't know how to read the wind. So that was the job of the coach, which was what my new boss was. My new boss in, here in Cincinnati was going to coach me on how to take those skills and now be better. So just because we have a new salesperson who's been great at setting appointments, he's been doing that for a while, and it's time for him to, to, to take that next step. We have to understand that he needs to be coached, and we can send him to Sandler. We can send him to Rain. We can send him to a variety of classes that I've been through. I have a whole bookcase behind me of books where I've been through class. But if you're not coached, you're not going to get there except by luck. And you know what? Luck is not a process. No, not at all. Kev, <laughs> uh, is there anything that you want to add to that? You know, there is, and, and it's it's unfortunate. So Sean and I, every year we, we do some speaking, some kickoff events for different companies where we, we speak to their sales team just kind of as they get the year started. And one of the statistics we, we present every year is how long it's been on average across the entire sales market since a sales manager has ridden with a rep. There are so few playing lessons, like Sean, you're describing the golf. There's so few playing lessons, so few ride-alongs. I mean, it's like more than 65% of all reps haven't had their manager ride with them in a year. The power of coaching is immense. Ride-alongs, seeing the customers press in the flesh. Um, the, some of the things you were talking about there, Sean, like around the attitudes. You know, people show up. I can teach people a lot about a product, but I can't make them smile just naturally. Like they've got to show up with some of those skills. And you know, if somebody is sour, it's tough to make them, if they're half empty, it's tough to make them be half full as just a mindset change. It's doable, but we as leaders and, and coaches have to manage to that. And Paul, one of your, your initial questions there was, what's the frequency? What's the cadence? What's, what's the content? And my pad answer to that is just like having a plan for your sales team, you need to have a plan for your coaching. So what does that look like in practice? Well, every sales meeting almost bar none, should have some component of training with it. Right? It doesn't have to be huge training. I'm not talking about binders and PowerPoints. I'm talking about a little bit of training, coaching and development. But also, we as sales leaders have to be sub subscribing to the idea that mass customization is important. We have to meet people where they are. Right? There's so much changing with AI, with content creation. I mean, how many of us in sales were used to getting the, this year's flyers? You know, Remember all the flyers used to have codes at the bottom so we'd know which ones to reorder when we ran out, right? That's, those things change moment to moment now. We, we have got to be content creators as salespeople. So coaching people on those skills, we as the leaders have to be better at coaching. I, I like to think about myself as I'm probably a better coach than I am, than I was a salesperson. I think this is my calling 
in, in coaching and developing people because I love it. I love getting in, in, in the weeds with somebody and taking them to a place they can't quite get on their own because of my other experience. That's a lot of the value Sean and I bring to the table. We see a lot of different businesses, models, verticals, people selling to a lot of different, you know, selling to a lot of different verticals. We take all that experience and bring it to bear for our, our next client as well. We're not sharing, you know, intimate details of how somebody runs their business, but we're able to apply, hey, we saw this type of, you know, solution work in this scenario. It might work here or it might not for the same reason. So we're helping people both get revenue faster, but also skip the landmines and skin knees along the way because we've already done a lot of that hard work ourselves. So cadence as often as possible, customized to the person's need, but also structured to be reliable and developing people perpetually. They have a plan. I love that. Um, no, thank you so much. And this has been uh, this has been a great episode. And I love having you both on at the same time because you're right in lockstep, but you say it in different ways. And uh, it has just really been able to shine the light on on a lot of things for me. I love I love a lot of stuff that we've taken away from this. The message, the method, the character, the competence. That story on golfing was uh, was brilliant. Uh, that is such a good note. That is really such a good note for your your uh, the VP to send to your direct that director and to tie in because that's that's so to me it's so visual and it just ties in. And that question on the one to two and the two to five salespeople, man, that if that isn't going into everybody's arsenal that's helping people coach sales or coaching growth and development, we're missing out because that is a wonderful one. Is how do people get in touch with you, Sean and Kevin? How uh, they same place, different places? So for me, the easiest way to get a hold of me because I have a really long name, it's hard to to, kind of, to write it all out. Is either Sean at NewSales.expert. That's my email address. Sean at and Sean is S E A N at NewSales.expert or just search for that really long name, Sean O'Shaughnessy on LinkedIn because I respond to a lot of things on LinkedIn and. Two Tall Guys Talking Sales is there as well. So you can search for that. And our links are in that, that page as well. Two Tall Guys Talking Sales. That's our podcast we do together. Kevin? So I have the opposite problem. I have a short name, but my email address is really long. So it's Kevin at LighthouseSalesAdvisors.com. So Kevin at LighthouseSalesAdvisors.com. So, you know, there's the same number letter count in, in our, our names, but that anyway. Um, separately, you can find me on LinkedIn, post a lot of content there as well. And catch Sean on our, either our podcast or our CEO workshop series also on LinkedIn Live. So well, uh, I, this has been a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, I, I thanks. I, I've had a blast. I think you guys, I've, I've learned a ton. I, I know listeners will learn a ton. Thank you so much for bringing your expertise here. And um, yeah, I... I can't wait to be on your your show if I ever get a chance and make sure that you guys do check out their pod. I think it's it's uh, it's awesome. And with that, we'll just say keep shining bright, everybody. Have a great day uh, from all across Ohio to you. Uh, just keep selling, keep doing great, and we'll sign off for the day. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Art and Science of Complex Sales. Please take a moment, like, subscribe, share this podcast on all your favorite platforms, and let's get the word out. This podcast is proud to be brought to you by Membrane.com. We are the world's top B2B sales platform, and in the world of B2B sales, with everything from prospecting to business acquisition to managing complex growth, Membrane has the right size technology for your sales team. 
Our latest innovation, the Coaching Cockpit, empowers your leaders, managers, and team with the information and tools they need to take their skills to the next level and to take advantage of the exponential power of effective sales coaching. With our technology and the top team of sales partners around the world, Membrane is helping to achieve our driving vision. This is, quite simply, elevating the sales profession. To learn more, find us at www.membrane.com, that is M-E-M-B-R-A-I-N.com, or contact us via email at sales at membrane.com. Keep shining bright and have a wonderful day.